When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's T with the UFOs want to tell you something. So this week, I just want to wish you guys Merry Christmas. We're going into Communion by Whitley Strieber. I've been holding off on this one a little bit. You know, I knew it was Christmas time. Next year I've got a good Christmas one then too. But, this week is Communion, so let's get it. Our story begins on December 26, 1986, in a cold, desolate cabin outside of upstate New York. It's a cool winter's day, the sky was cloudy, at least eight inches of snow on the ground, and it was cold night. Whitley Strieber and his wife Anne had put their son to bed. They then sat down to read books while listening to music. At about 8.30, Whitley turned on the burglar alarm and made a tour of the house, looking in closets and underneath the guest bedroom bed. This compulsion had actually begun the prior fall, and he didn't know why. He was so paranoid. By 10 o'clock, Whitley and Anne were in bed, and by 11, they were asleep. In the middle of the night, Whitley found himself abruptly awake. I heard a peculiar, whooshing, swirling noise coming from the living room downstairs. There was no random creak, no settling of the house, but a sound as if a large number of people were moving around rapidly in the room. Whitley sat up shocked, and he looked over to see his alarm was still on and working. And it seemed as if no one had entered. And then he did something very odd and peculiar. He laid back down in bed. When he realized one of the double doors leading into the bedroom was moving, closing, and was concealing whatever was behind it, he got up again wide awake and now completely cognitive. He was uneasy at what was moving the door. He saw edging around the door a compact figure. It was distinct and yet completely impossibly astonishing, says Whitley. That at first I could not understand it at all, said Whitley. He sat there, staring, and too stunned to move. Whitley sat there, too stunned to move, staring at the being, peering around the doorway. This figure was too small to be a person, unless a child. I believe it was roughly three and a half feet tall, altogether smaller and lighter than my son, said Whitley. Whitley could only see only about one-third of the figure, 
as it bended around the door to see Whitley. It had a smooth, rounded hat with an odd, sharp rim that was four inches. Below this was a vague area. I could not see the face, or perhaps would not see it, said Whitley. A few moments later, as it was close to the bed, Whitley states, I saw two dark holes for eyes, and a black downturning line of a mouth that later became an O. The being had a plate over its chest. This went from his chin to its waist, etched with concentric circles. At the time, I thought it looked like some sort of breastplate or even armored vest. Beneath it was a rectangular appliance of the same type which covered the lower waist to just above the knees. At the angle, the abductor was leaning concealed its legs behind the door. Whitley then speculates on what the plates were for. Whether it was because he had a shotgun in the house or not. Perhaps it was some form of protection. The next thing I knew, the figure came crashing into the room. I recall only blackness after that, for an unknown period of time. I don't remember falling asleep or lying awake. What I do remember is far, far more disturbing. Whitley's next conscious recollection is being in motion. Whitley was naked, with his arms and legs extended as if in mid-leap. I was moving out of the room. There was no physical sensation at all. Not of being touched, not of being warm or cold, said Whitley. Whitley then goes on to talk about being paralyzed, and how he was in a state of panic, and then everything went black again. The next thing Whitley knew after coming to... He was sitting in a depression in the woods. It was dark with no snow, simply the ground around him. Whitley was sitting. He saw to his left out of his peripheral a small being wearing a gray tan bodysuit, sitting on the ground with knees drawn up and hands clasped around them. Whitley goes on to say that there were two dark eye holes and a round mouth hole. Whitley goes on to say at this point that he got the impression of a face mask on this being and that he felt that the being had complete control. He could only move his eyes and on his right was another figure completely invisible except for an occasional flash of movement. This person was working on something that had to do with his right side of his head this being wore dark blue coveralls and was extremely fast and vague. But the being on his left was not vague at all. This being left a clear impression on Whitley's mind. I do not know why, but I had the distinct feeling that this was a female, said Whitley. She was just as small as the others and appeared to be almost bored or indifferent. At this point, she was explaining something to Whitley, but... He can't remember what was said. Then Whitley remembers seeing trees and branches around him. And he was lifted up. The gray floor opened up and closed like an iris closing. The room was messy 
and it was almost as if Whitley was being cradled by these people. While in this messy round room, being cradled by these entities, Whitley says, while I had up until that point been able to attain a degree of control of my attention, this now left me, and I became entirely given over to extreme dread. He had the sense of a fear so powerful, it made his personality evaporate, as Whitley put it. Whitley visually tried to record everything he could for verification, taking in every detail. He was in a small circular chamber, domed, grayish tan ceiling, with ribs in intervals of about a foot. On his right was clothing thrown on the floor. He thought it was dirty looking, and this room was small, tight, and enclosed. Tiny people were moving all around at a fast speed. Whitley goes on to say, their quickness was disturbing, and in a curious way, ugly. An acute, annoying feeling of being in a trap overcame me, Whitley said. I was seated on a bench, leaning against the wall. The bench was also tanning gray, with a rimmed lip with dark brown around it. There was something quite beautiful, I think, having to do with a lens of, in the ceiling. Whitley says. Unaware of precisely how long he spent in this room. He thinks perhaps a few minutes or even seconds. Long enough, though, that he could get details on it. Whitley was still paralyzed, but able to move his eyes and maybe even his head. One being stood on Whitley's left and the other on his right. They rushed around him again, and the next thing he remembers, he's being shown a tiny gray box with a sliding lid. And on this box was a curved lip on one end. It was being held by a graceful person whose appearance was not distinct. The next person he saw was a tiny squat person crouching. Given the box, the entity opened it, revealing an extremely shiny hair-thin needle mounted on a black surface. The needle glinted out of the corner of his eye, but was practically invisible straight on. Whitley has the thought that they wanted to put it into Whitley's brain, or perhaps he was told this. He's not too clear. Whitley at this point is crazed with terror. This place is filthy, he argued. You'll ruin a beautiful mind. He became sad. And even though he doesn't recall screaming, he must have been, because he was told, what can we do to help you stop screaming? This voice was female, and even perhaps the one from before. The voice had an electronic tone with flat accents, and most definitely Midwestern. Whitley says, you could let me smell you, 
He was embarrassed by this request. Right, okay, okay, I can do that, said one being. Being placed one hand on the back of Whitley's head and the other to his nose. And he smelt a slight sense of cardboard. And the hand had a distinct organic sourness. Whitley specifies something alive and a subtle overtone of cinnamon. The next thing he knows, there's a flash and a bang. And Whitley believes that they performed this operation at this point. And the flash and the bang were possibly the conclusions. Whitley felt himself sinking down into a cradle of tiny arms. And then he felt lifted up and seemed to be in another room. Or even seeing this room differently. This room was a small operating theater. He was laying down in the center on a table. And there were three tiers of benches with a few beings on them, crouched, or rather hunched. Some of these beings had round eyes, as opposed to the slanted ones. Whitley had seen four types of beings in the room. And this goes back to his first event. The being peering around the door, which was a robot-like being that had entered the room. Followed by a short, stocky ones, wide faces, Dark gray or dark blue in the light. Pug noses. And a broad, somewhat human mouth. Inside the room I encountered two types of creatures that did not look at all human. One was five foot tall, slender, delicate, with extremely prominent and memorizing slanted eyes. Vestigial mouth and nose. But the beings in the operating theater had similar shaped heads. They were smaller, round button eyes that were black. Whitley goes on to state that the stocky ones were always present through his experience, moving, controlling him. He got the impression that they were a good army, but he doesn't know why. He doesn't remember what happened to him in the operating theater, if anything. Moving from place to place brought Whitley the most fear. Some of these beings had soft hands, but so many. It was like being passed on by rows of insects. And it was very distressing to Whitley. The next thing he knows, he's moved to more intimate surroundings. He saw clothes thrown across the floor once more. Two of the stocky ones spread his legs apart. And a large, ugly object was shown to Whitley. Gray and scaly. With a network of wires at the end. At least one foot long and narrow and a triangular structure. It was inserted into his rectum, 
and he seemed to be of the mind that he was being raped. He thought as if this machine had a mind of its own. First he felt angry for the first time during this experience. When withdrawn, he realized it was a mechanical device. A being held it and pointed out the wire cage on the tip and seemed to warn him about something Whitley does not recall. One took Whitley's right hand and made an incision on his forefinger, but it had no pain. The next thing he knows, there's no blackness, but abruptly his memory ends, just mourning. On the 27th, as Whitley awoke, he felt uneasy. In an improbable but intense memory of seeing an owl staring through the window at him. Whitley looked out onto the roof, and seeing no owl tracks, he knew it was no owl. But he wanted to convince himself that he, it was an owl. Whitley's neighbors came by, his closest neighbors to him, and he talked about seeing a light of a snowmobile at three o'clock in the morning. But the woods were too thick for that. No snowmobile could make its way around. He knew this was a hollow memory, like the owl. And after that, his neighbors left. Whitley felt this was strange, but he didn't know of cover memories at the time. Whitley's finger then became infected, but he was unsure why. He had assumed that perhaps he got a splinter in his finger. Whitley faced other physical ailments at this time. He faced rectal pain, fatigue, and a head that pounded and hurt. At this time, he ceased to dream when sleeping. He would toss and turn and felt on guard. Behind his ear was a pinpoint scab of some kind on the back of his head. All of these things together, Whitley believes, brought back some of these memories, at least over the next few days. This tormented Whitley. He thought he had lost his mind. These memories would appear and then go away, leaving him in a state of panic and fright. One afternoon, their smell came back to Whitley, as clear as if he had just smelt it, and saved Whitley from going nearly insane. This was some form of verification. Later in January, a newspaper reported a UFO witnessed by many. At the time, this was a hot spot, and many UFOs have been reported, triangular UFOs and boomerang-shaped UFOs. Whitley's attitude was bad at this time, and he was having trouble relating to his son and Anne, his wife. For Christmas, his brother had sent him a book called Science and the UFOs by Jenny Randall. At this point, Whitley had read the book, or was reading the book, and read about an abduction experience, and realized this described him. So he reached out to a name in the book, Bud Hopkins. 
he talked with Bud. And Bud asked him to come over immediately. And they spoke about the experience. Whitley then talks about the previous October. On October 4th, he had thought the house was burning down. But it didn't burn down. They had put these events in the back of their mind. And there were witnesses. His two friends that were staying at the cabin, his son and his wife. But when Whitley asked, they did not recall this. So Whitley assumed it was some form of unusual mental phenomena on his part. Whitley then goes into more detail about the account. On October 4, 1985, Whitley, his wife Anne, their son, and two friends went to the cabin. They were all very tired, put logs on the fire, and went to bed immediately. Whitley slept dreamlessly for a time, perhaps a few hours, and was abruptly awaked by a distinct blue light that cast upon the ceiling. This puzzled Whitley. But the light crawled the ceiling, as if from above. But then he thought to himself again, the chimney must be on fire and dropping sparks into the front yard. And then he did something odd, he fell asleep, awakened again by a loud firecracker-like noise in his face. His son was yelling and his wife cried out. The glow surrounded the house, extended into the fog. Now the fire has gotten worse, he thought. But as he went to wake everyone up, the glow disappeared. He went and told his wife Anne that he had made a mistake and comforted his son and put his friends at ease. Later in the week, he was irritable and he didn't know why. He had persistent memory of light shining in his eyes, as well as a vague memory of an explosion. A huge crystal standing on end above his house, hundreds of feet tall, with an unearthly blue light. On February 6, 1986, after meeting with Bud, he asked if his wife remembered what happened. She remembered being awoken by a large bang. She did not see the glow. All she did recall is that Whitley was saying there was a there was no fire. He asked his son what he remembered. And his son reported hearing the same loud banging noise. And then something even more odd happened. A bunch of people told me it was okay. You just threw your shoe at a fly. What people? Whitley replied. Oh, just a bunch of people. People around, said the boy. He called Bud Hopkins again, shocked and frightened, and Bud told him to ask about dreams rather than his memories. As Whitley did, spontaneous and immediate, his son replied, I dreamed of a bunch of little doctors, took me out on the porch and put me on the, a cot. I got scared and they started saying, we, weren't, we won't hurt you, over and over. The boy didn't recall if this happened on October 4th, but he did recall that it happened at the cabin. Pitley then got in touch with his friend Jacques and asked what he remembered. And his friend reported being awoken by a loud bang and reported that the light was so bright 
that he thought it was daytime, and that perhaps he overslept. The moon wasn't that bright. So he checked his watch and it was 4.30. He remembers Whitley saying, it's okay, go back to sleep through the door. And he did. His friend Jacques' wife was then asked questions. And her tale, on the other hand, was much more frightening. She remembers being awoken by a loud bang. And then she remembers a scurry of little feet running across the bedroom upstairs. It must have been the cats, she told Whitley. Whitley told her, we don't take the cats to the cabin. And we leave them in the apartment. Vaguely, I remember a light. And Whitley said, through the door to her as well, don't worry. She then tells Whitley, that she remembers Whitley told her the next morning that some people came down from a spaceship to visit. What? Whitley said. I never said any such thing. Well, now that I think of it, I don't know where I got the idea anybody said it. Whitley got off the phone with his friends, shocked and frightened knowing that there were witnesses and that it wasn't all in his mind. The last week of October, Whitley wanted to move to Austin, Texas instead of New York. They went, got a hold of some real estate agents and looked at some houses, got their son enrolled in a good school, and Whitley found the perfect house. But as Whitley stood amongst a canyon, peering out. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. He became panicked and refused to buy the house or even go back into it and decided to stay in New York. This made his wife Anne extremely mad. Whitley was having problems with his temper due to these events. He simply felt as if he was breaking down. So Whitley sought a therapist. He wanted a therapist with an open mind. He didn't know if he had a mental illness. Due to the lapse of memory, due to fear and possible amnesia, he wanted somebody who also knew how to do hypnotic regression. Bud Hopkins had mentioned that Dr. Klein was interested in such cases. Whitley could only recall what he could prior. Whitley talks about hypnosis and not knowing if even his own mind would lead him down a path he secretly longed for. He did not believe in UFOs prior to these experiences. 
and he says he would have laughed in the face of any of those who did claim contact. And yet, his experience happened to him, and not in an unconscious state, but rather in plain memory. Dr. Klein explained that under hypnosis, people cannot be compelled to say things that they don't want to say. Dr. Klein put Whitley in a pleasant hypnosis. He just put him in a relaxed state of mind. Whitley was completely aware of his surroundings and what was going on, and even still felt as if he had the will of his own, but still feared whether he was still open to suggestion. Bud Hopkins was also present for both regressions, but was only to ask questions at the end. Dr. Klein brought Whitley back to October 1st through the 4th, and Whitley goes over his plans for the weekend of picking up his friends, and then relives picking his friends up, going to a nice dinner, and going back to the house. He's then brought back to the night of the light on the 4th. During the regression, Whitley struggled with himself to figure out what was going on. Whitley awoke in the middle of the night, and something went past the window. Whitley argued with himself, what the hell is that? Is somebody there? Something that looked like it had a hood on it, standing over by the wall in the corner of the bedroom, and I don't want to, it to be there. What is it doing to me? Stop. Stop. Whitley then emerged from hypnosis. He didn't remember these events prior. It was like a little man with a hood or something. There's no head and covered in something. It comes to the bed and it starts sticking something. Not in Whitley's head, but his mind. It would make a noise like a voice. Like it had a little thing. It could just touch to my head and it would make a voice. The light comes past the window, it's glow in the front yard. I think I knew all along it was coming in the window, the glow. And Whitley goes on to say that he didn't want to say that. I just don't know what he was doing. When he sees that I see him, he comes over to the bed. He looks mean, he's little, looking down at me. Got eyes, big eyes big slanted eyes, a bald head, looking down at me. He's got a ruler in his hand, has a tip of silver, touches me, I see pictures, pictures of the world just blowing up. When he touches my head with this thing, Jesus, what is this about? What is this about? I know you won't hurt me. Stop. The house is burning down. The house is on fire. No, it's not. Why did I say that? He took a thing like a needle and struck it like a match, and bang, right in front of Whitley's face. The explosion was done with a little needle. While not a good memory, Whitley was relieved that he could finally get this off of his chest and out of his head and stop fighting it. The first figure was bald with a hood. The eyes were slanted with piercing stare. At some point, I thought, almost like a bug, but more like a person than a bug. But it had bug-like qualities. He argues that he would not be able to write things off much longer. Whitley, 
Dr. Klein and Bud Hopkins met again a few days later. At this point, Whitley remembered all of the incidents from December to October. They put Whitley in a relaxed state and under a hypnotic regression again, and brought him back to December 26th. Whitley had had a hard time until Christmas. He thought those people were hiding in the closet. Whitley had bought a gun in October. He had the feeling they were in the house. Whitley goes to sleep in bed on December 26th. He can hear them coming. And they come right in the door. It looks like he's wearing cards. An oblong one down his middle. And he has on a round hat and a face mask with two eye holes and a round hole between them toward the bottom. Moving really fast. Stands by the bed and gestures to the door. There's a hell of a whole lot of them. Piling in the room. They're not wearing cards, but blue coveralls. Bald heads. Whitley gets up and takes off his pajamas. There's two rows of them. Are they moving me? Hand to hand? They're just tiny bitty people. Goes downstairs to the front porch and there's a black cot outside. He lays on it and it goes off of the back porch. And he's in the middle of the woods. Naked, but not cold. There's no snow. They're swarmed around him. They swarmed around him. And he's sitting in the woods. And he shot straight up out of the woods like an elevator. He was really feeling this. The floor now beneath him again. And the sensation of being pulled up stops. The stench again filling his nostrils. It's not clean in here. Now there's a person talking to me. She walks right past in front. She's wearing a tan suit. She looks like a little person made of leather, sort of. You know what I think? I think you're old. Are you old? Yes, I'm old. She has a matchbox or something resembling one in her hands. She then tells Whitley of an operation they must perform. I'm not going to let you do an operation on me. You have no right. We do have a right. And just bang. They are moving around me. They are real put her cheek right up to me. You are the chosen one. I don't believe that, not for a minute. It's ridiculous. I want to go home. That is where I belong. You just cut me on my finger, just like that. But it doesn't hurt at all. I'm not scared the floor goes like that. I'm rolling like a ball. Feels like I'm going backwards in a movie, almost. I went sailing right back into my living room, in no more than a minute. Whitley sits on the couch with no clothes on, but wants to build up the fire. Whitley brushes his teeth and puts on his pajamas, lays next to his wife, and thinks that he saw two beings in the room, but argues that they can't be there. Dr. Klein asked about the Chosen One message and inquired by asking, Did they tell you what you were chosen for? No, not for anything. 
They've got a lot of them, believe me. I've seen some of the others before laying down there. What others? said Dr. Klein. The other people. There's a whole row of them. Oh, but that was a long time ago. They didn't know where they were or what they were doing. I was sitting up in bed. How old are you? Twelve, replied Whitley. Now you'll notice that in his first experience, as he's explaining what, you know, a little bit of his background, Whitley goes over the fact that he used to write thrillers. And that he had moved on from writing thrillers and actually started writing more humanitarian books based more on facts. Still fiction, but based more on facts. Now what we've gone over in prior podcasts with other abductees and contactees one of the things that we notice and that I keep talking about is these images of catastrophes occurring with these contactees rather abductees because that's what I prefer to call them and it it shapes the framework of how they act later on in most cases you'll notice here that Whitley started trying to talk about peace and love and let's stop with the nuclear bombs and things like that. Reminiscent of what extraterrestrials are said to show people. Some, some people would argue that Whitley Strieber's book Communion, because of how popular it was at the time, it was a number one bestseller, that that had an influence on what people report as far as abductions go. And that anybody that would read that book would say the same thing. As an example, we're going to put out exactly what we just went over. Being more humanitarian. Well, that's simply not true because before that, in the 1950s and 60s, people were reporting the same thing with the contactee experiences. Put down the nukes, stop fucking blowing yourselves up and things like that. And we find that later in abduction scenarios as well. So the question is, what do we make of Whitley's case thus far? Now, I gotta tell you, while some would argue that Whitley is not very genuine, I have to say I find this extremely genuine, at least communion. Later on, it's up for debate, but this seems to have actually happened to him. He dealt with Bud Hopkins, Dr. Klein. He believed he was going crazy. What you find with abductees a lot. These are extremely odd scenarios, and if you've listened to my prior podcast, you see a lot of similarities that we've gone over in other cases. We have cloaked figures. 
visions of the end of the world. Beings taking people. Odd craft in the sky. Cover memories of owls. And things of an embarrassing nature, such as a rectal probe. Now, on the rectal probe thing, you're not just going to put that out there. That's extremely embarrassing for any man to admit, or even a woman. It's one of those things that, if I was Whitley, I would have held off on that part. Because he was ridiculed very badly for that. In fact, it's become such a trope that if somebody does try to ridicule you, that's one of the first things to go to is little green men, tinfoil hats, and anal probes. And it's sad to think that if these events did happen to Whitley, as I believe they do and many others do, that that man had to face such ridicule for that. Now an argument could be made that perhaps he made all of this up, or he took it from prior books. Well, some of the things that he puts in his books are unique of themselves. But also, at that point, many of these things weren't well known. So some skeptics may even ask, well, the modern abductions were probably led on by Whitley Strieber's book. That's why they have similarities now. Well, as an example, we have cloaked entities. Happened way before Whitley's book and after. Visions of the world being blown up before and after. Slanted-eyed abductors before and after. Cover memories of owls before and after. The argument could be made, but it, it must be retracted when faced with such evidence. Now, another odd fact should be pointed out, and that is of the being wearing the hat. Now, as he describes the hat, what thought came to my mind is the story of Pat from Dr. Carla Turner's book, Taken, where she talked about the beings having a rice patty hat. If that is indeed what he is describing, then that in itself is a little form of verification. And not only that, this week I ordered a magazine from eBay, and on the cover was an entity wearing the same exact type of hat. So that's three stories that we have of these entities wearing a hat like Raiden from Mortal Kombat, which is odd in itself. And in a bit of synchronicity, in one of the books that I put out for my wife to get for me for Christmas, we share an Amazon list. You know, my wife isn't into ufology. She's, she's not going to order a random book for me. She wants to make sure I like it. 
So I ordered the book Experiencer and Experiencer 2, Two Worlds Collide. It's a factual book about a man's abduction case. And as I was flipping through it, I see a chapter titled Angel. And on this chapter, the very first page, there's a picture of entities in an operating room with levels and bleachers above it. Bleachers wouldn't be the exact term I'd use, but I think you get the point that I'm making here. So after I read that a little bit, we're going to touch on it as well next week too and see if there's some parallels. But so far, we've run across quite a few. So I want you guys to keep that in mind. And this is a learning process for all of us. You guys are learning with me. If I run into connections like that, I'm going to point them out to you. There may even be some that I missed. And if I did, you guys let me know. We're going to pick up on this next week. I want to present to you a short clip from Art Bell's Dreamland back in the day of talking with Whitley Strieber. Um, we're going to get to phones here shortly. Everybody be patient. Um, we're going to go through some rapid fire important questions. Uh, hopefully, and then we're going to get to the phone, so stand by. Uh, Jody in Hawaii writes, uh, Whitley, that she bought a few years ago communion. Scared us so badly. She couldn't finish reading it. Uh, she didn't even want it in the house, got rid of it. Now, because of Dreamland, she's getting ready to read it again. And uh, I just thought you'd like to know that. <laughs> well, I think she should read Breakthrough. Oh, do you? Absolutely, okay. because that's, I mean, why bother with communion and transformation when I've got Breakthrough now? Yeah, that's true. Um, all right, here comes some tough, uh, I'm going to ask some fast questions. Hopefully I can get some fast Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Answers and we can go to the phones. Okay. You said you, uh, you'd had, uh, really were ready to have nothing more to do with UFO research. And now you seem to be back changing your mind. Yes. Why? Someone who was opening people's minds. 
lines to something that we in the end could not handle. And I just basically backed off in 1989 at a moment when things were just on the edge of really, I think there was really going to be a big, big change. And I just backed off because I was not ready for that. I did not know uh, what would happen. So I want to thank you guys for joining me on my podcast. It's going to keep going. And I promise there's not going to be any more Nick Redfern rant ones. I know that was a little rough to get through. But I had a little bit to get off my chest. Now that's done and over with. And we can move on. Even though he's still putting up the same old articles, the same old regurgitated stuff. It's up to you to determine whether it's paranormal or not. It's not up to me. Simply put, I wanted you guys to look at things in a different way, and I still do. But the point is, I want to thank you guys, because I've gotten a lot more interaction. And that's something I appreciate. Even if you don't want to send me your UFO story, or come on the podcast, I still appreciate you just talking to me and giving me some feedback. I don't get paid to do this. I don't have sponsors. I just do it for my research and to help other people. And my main goal behind this whole thing is to make the point of In order to get to the bottom of this, it's you people who have had the contact experience that are the most important. You hold the most vital keys to solving this whole problem. Or at the very least, getting more information. And for all of you that do take that jump, and go through the hardness of sharing your stories and facing ridicule I want to let you know not on my podcast I will never demean you I don't care if you think they're time travelers if you think they're robots if you think they're ghosts I will never ever go against my listeners or anybody who's had the contact experience Your interpretation and the way it has changed you is extremely important. And I want to let you guys know again, if you're having these experiences and you need somebody, reach out to me, reach out to somebody like Debbie Cobble, Preston Dennett, anybody. And you can talk to us or we can put you in contact with somebody in your area who can help you. I will always listen to you guys. And I will go to bat for you too. I just wanted to get that out there. And make sure that you guys know that I appreciate you. I may not have any many regular listeners. But to me, the ones who are, 
you are the most important. And I want to thank you personally from myself on that. So if you want to share your UFO story with me or even come on the podcast, just message me at theufos at yahoo.com. If you want to be sponsored, like I'll just shout you out. I don't ask for money for my podcast. I don't expect to get paid for it. I do this because it's my passion. So if you want to shout out for your podcast or your Facebook group, just go ahead and let me know. And I will gladly support any of you. As a podcaster, I have an obligation to try to get out as much information as I can to you. And as thoroughly as I can. So something like this might take two weeks to get through, but I'm trying to be as thorough as I possibly can with you guys to get the information out. In the most correct way that I possibly can. And recently, I realized I uploaded my Nick Redfern video to YouTube. Put some visual aids in there. I'm trying to do that with all my videos. Or at least my podcast, turning them into videos. So if you want to go ahead and check those out, please do. You can find me on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere. So this next week... Like I said, we're going to finish up communion, and on Sunday I'm going to have an RV with me, and we're going to do a video, maybe a live stream one, we're going to do UFOs and the paranormal, two separate phenomena or one and the same again, and I want to upload once every two weeks rather than every week, because there's a lot that goes into this and it's a lot for me to keep up with with, you know, full-time job and stuff. And even though I say that, I keep loading up some here and there. So, I'm going to try to stick with more a consistent schedule after this next week with communion. And for those who listen and don't like my rants, one lady in specific, I'm not going to call you out on here. Well, simply, ma'am, you don't have to listen. And to be quite honest, if you don't understand the information I'm conveying because I'm going on a rant, you need to pay a little more attention. And this is in regards to the Nick Redford rant, which I promise is not going to happen again. And it's not that I mind going off about it, it's just I had a couple things to get off of my chest. They're already said and done. He may now push whatever he'd like out there. And my listeners can take that however they would like. I simply wanted to give you guys a different perspective, and you now have it. Alright guys, we're going to end it here. I want to thank the Ghoulies again for Hot Rods from Outer Space. Badass band. Go ahead and subscribe to them on YouTube and follow them on Facebook. I want to thank you guys for listening again. This wouldn't be possible without you. may not have many listeners, but I do have you guys, and I do appreciate it. It's good that somebody pays attention to my research. So again, I want to thank you guys. Wish you a Merry Christmas. 
I'll see you guys next week. All right, keep kicking it.